you uh, need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. If you're new to our congregation, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here. And at the end of our service, I'll be downstairs in the lobby area. So I'd, I'd love to meet you if we haven't met before, just to get your name and what brought you to our congregation would, would, and how you got here. We'd love to, to connect with you. Uh, we are starting a new series today. Before I get into that message, I wanted to give some, a little bit of uh, information, new information about something that's going to start in the beginning of June. It's been our, pres- our pastoral practice and tradition over the 31 years at New Life or so that our pastoral uh, team and pastoral staff every seven years uh, goes on a three to four month sabbatical every seven years. I've been at New Life for now 11 years, and I have not been on sabbatical yet. And so the time has come. And so in beginning of June, for three and a half months, I'll be going on sabbatical. And the purpose of sabbatical is a time of rest, it's a time of recreation, it's a time of study, it's a time of napping, it's a time of of doing things that have nothing to do with work uh, for the sake of... Uh, receiving the seeds of God's truth for the next phase of ministry and leadership. Now, the reason why I didn't go on sabbatical in my seventh year was because in my seventh year, I was just a couple of years into being the lead pastor at New Life. And so I just didn't feel uh, easy leaving the congregation for a number of months when I had just got here. Secondly, we didn't have someone who was really overseeing the day-to-day operations of the church. And that all changed last year when Jackie Snape was received as our executive pastor in June. And so when Jackie was received as our executive pastor, I was just like, sabbatical, here I come now. And so, uh, and Jackie's doing a phenomenal job just leading the day-to-day operations of our church. And we have much to be grateful for, for her leadership. And so uh, beginning in June, I'll be uh, June 2nd or so, right after our annual meeting, after the the closing prayer of our annual meeting, uh, I'll be going on sabbatical. And just so it's been interesting in my conversations with folks in the lobby after the first two services, a few folks have come up to me and said, "Uh, Rich, um, be honest with me, are you leaving our congregation? And so... Uh, for those of you who are thinking about that, the, the, the answer is no. I, you guys are stuck with me. And so um, we've had this as a rhythm for our lives. And so it's important to have a seat. Just like a, uh, we have Sabbath once every seven days, in our context here, we have uh, a sabbatical at New Life once every seven years. And so we're just extending it that way. And so uh, just be praying for me. I'll talk more about it in the coming weeks, but I wanted to give you uh, just a heads up as we move in that direction. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're looking at Luke chapter 7, verse 1 through 10. We're starting a new series called Encounters with Jesus. And over the past eight weeks, we have focused on the Ten Commandments, the past ten weeks, focused on the Ten Commandments, and the thrust was like commands, the, the thrust we're going to see over the next couple of months is stories, something about provocative stories, encouraging, transforming stories of Jesus in the Gospels. And what we're going to see is that there are many different people who encounter Jesus, and all of them have the same kind of result. Any person from any kind of life who encounters Jesus encounters him in his grace, in his love, in his truth, in his power, and they are transformed. And that's what we're going to see in one of our stories today in Luke chapter 7, a story 
story of a man who's known as a centurion. Hear the word of the Lord beginning in verse number one. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with them, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. Next verse, he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say to to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, I like that phrase, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. I like verse 9. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd, following, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Let's pray together. Lord, our prayer this afternoon is that you would send the word and that our lives would be healed, marriages restored, destinies, Lord, confirmed and dry bones coming alive. So your kingdom come, Jesus, your will be done. We pray these things in your name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Because I am the father of two young kids, in my mind I can easily recall particular shows my children watch. And there's one show in particular that comes to mind over and over again, maybe comes to your mind, and that show is Sesame Street. Sesame Street. We all know about Sesame Street. There's a segment on Sesame Street that's about the word of the day, the word of the day. And as I thought about my sermon this afternoon, I thought about the word of the day for this sermon, and the word of the day is amazed, amazed. Have you ever been amazed before? Ever been delightfully surprised by something, to be astonished, to be greatly surprised. And I think about being amazed. I think about the situations in which I saw a relationship being restored, and I'm just amazed at it. I'm amazed at some of the generosity and forgiveness that I've seen from one person to another. I'm amazed by it. One of my favorite stories of being amazed actually happened, though, when I met Rosie for the first time in 2003. It was about September 24th, about 6.30 p.m., and um, I was amazed. I had met her briefly three weeks before, and my cousin was trying to 
get us together. And there was an event at a, this church in Brooklyn, this young adult gathering. And so uh, I saw her at this event. And when I saw her, I remember the, the place where I saw her, where I was just like moved in spirit, amazed. I remember what, what she wore that day. I, I remember it was like these brown shoes and these blue jeans and this like olive colored corduroy jacket. And then I looked at her and I said, girl, I was reading the book of Numbers and I realized I didn't have yours. And so... Um, <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Man. <laughs> That's a good line, though, right? That's a good line. Some of you are like, wait a second. Let me, let me. You, know, you know, I said, can I ax you out on a date? Because you've been roaming through my mind. Okay. Now, all right. <laughs> oh, I'll stop right there. Should I continue? Oh, I'll just stop right there. Stop right there. <laughs> Amazed, just amazed, amazed. There's something about being amazed. And what we see throughout the scriptures is stories of people amazed, amazed at Jesus, amazed at his love, amazed at his mercy. But not only do we see stories of people being amazed by Jesus, what we see interestingly enough in our story is a story of Jesus being amazed, being amazed by someone's faith. In our text, we come across a story that was so shocking that it amazes Jesus. And I began to think about my own life and think about our life together. What does it mean for us to have a faith that amazes Jesus? In our text this afternoon, we come across a story of someone who amazes Jesus. And you would think from the surface of it, or you would think at the beginning, it would be probably a rabbi, someone who had good theological understanding who amazed Jesus. Or maybe it was a disciple, someone who walked closely with Jesus and, and surprised and amazed Jesus with their faith. But what we see in the story is that it's not a disciple, it's not a rabbi, it's not someone who had theological truth, it's actually someone who didn't even go to church. And this person surprisingly amazes Jesus. The person who surprised Jesus and amazed him with faith was a centurion, a Roman centurion who probably looks something like that. A centurion was, uh, I got that name because he would be over 100 soldiers. He'd be over a century, 100 soldiers. And this person had a lot of power at his disposal. He had a lot of military power, a lot of political power, a lot of economic power, and most likely he had a lot of physical power. He had all of Rome behind him at a single command. And so if the centurion just said a word, things began to happen. If he just sent a word, things would take place. There was no deliberation, there was no conversation, there was no discussion, there was no discernment. Whenever a centurion said a word, spoke a word, sent a word, there was immediate obedience because what he represented was something greater than himself. He had authority behind him. And authority is not found in how strong you are, how physical, uh, the strength that you have. Authority is found in the power of that which you represent. And so this Roman centurion had a lot of authority at his disposal. If he said a word, things began to happen. 
It reminds me, I was driving down 63rd Road and by Queens Boulevard down in Regal Park the other day, and I saw a traffic officer, an elderly, shorter woman who was standing in front of this massive truck just with her hand out this way, and the truck had to stop. The truck had to stop. And I thought, that is a picture of authority. She didn't have a lot of physical strength. But she had a badge that represented something greater than herself, that if you violate that stop there, you're not just violating her, you're violating a greater authority that she represents. If I got in front of that truck, uh, my life is over at that point (laughs) because I'm not representing any authority to that person. But because she stood in front with, with her uniform and that badge, there was a larger authority that was behind her. This Roman centurion is like that situation there. It has a lot of authority. He represents something beyond himself. And yet he comes across a particular situation in which his authority was no good. He has a lot of power, a lot of authority, but he has found himself in a situation where he can no longer just send the word and things happen. And because he has no authority to just send the word, he recognizes his power is up. He recognizes his authority doesn't mean anything in this space. And many of us know what it's like to have our authority mean something in one space, but mean nothing in another. Your authority in your house is one thing, but that authority doesn't carry over at your job necessarily. Your authority in your job, your authority in your school is one thing, but it necessarily doesn't carry over to another place. This centurion had authority in one space, in one dimension of his life, but he found himself in another space in which he could not just send the word. He's used to just saying a word and things happen. What happens, though, when you can say a word, but your word means nothing? This is the situation the centurion finds himself in. And there comes a point in our life where we, like the centurion, recognize I don't have any power for this situation. And all of us, sooner or later, come to grips with the reality of our powerlessness. That we, we can change certain things here and there, but there comes a point in our lives where we recognize that we are truly powerless. And we must come to this truth and face this truth that we are powerless. We are reminded throughout the course of our lives, more and more, the older we get, that we're not as powerful as we think. Sickness has a way of revealing our powerlessness. Aging has a way of revealing our powerlessness. Children have a way of revealing our powerlessness. We all come to a point in our lives where we do not have the power to change anything. We find ourselves in a situation that is out of our control. And I want to pause here for a second for you to do a little bit of inventory. When you think about your own life at this very moment, what seems out of your control? Where are you running out of power? And I want you to just hold that, just to name that as we hear this word proclaimed over you today. I want you to hold on to that. Where in your life... Do you feel powerless? Where in your life do you feel life is out of control? It is in these moments where we can do one or two things. We can rely on our own strength and power, or we can come to Jesus and receive the power at his disposal. In Luke 7, 3, we see what the centurion does. This centurion, it says, says the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal 
his servant. The centurion says, Lord, my servant is ill. He sends word, and Jesus simply says, out of hearing this request, I'm coming. I'm coming. And I, and I love, I love Jesus. He starts on his way. I'm coming. And I want to tell you, you might look at your situation right now. You can't, but, but he's coming. You might not be able to see it, but, but he's coming. You, you can't get the timetable right, but he's coming. He might not do it in your time, but, 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 but he's coming. Jesus hears there's a need, and he comes. And I love that about this text. I love that about Jesus, that he's not a distant God. He, he, he's one who comes. He's one who moves towards us. And so Jesus begins to move towards this centurion. He hears about his plight. He hears about his need. He hears about his suffering servant, and he moves towards him. And the centurion hears that Jesus is moving towards him, and he's surprised that he's on his way. And so he says, wait a minute. Send him this message now. And this is what he says. The message he says is, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes. And that one, come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And Jesus hears this. And the Bible says that Jesus is amazed. He's amazed. He's blown away. The, the, the Greek word for it is, is the word thamauzo. He, it, it's a word that comes up only a couple of times. He is amazed. He's shocked by it. I imagine if the conversation was being had over text message and Jesus just said, you know, I'm, I'm coming over, the, the centurion would probably send a text message back with, with emojis that look like, or, or Jesus would send this back with emojis that are just like this here. Shocked. Can you believe this? Did you hear what the centurion said? Jesus is amazed. Why is Jesus so amazed? Now, what's interesting is this word amazed, we find Jesus being amazed only two times in the Bible. Two times in the Bible, Jesus is amazed. The first time he's amazed is he's amazed for a negative reason, because of unbelief. In Mark chapter 6, it says, because of their unbelief, he could not do any mighty miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. The two times where Jesus is amazed, one, he's amazed because of unbelief. The other, he's amazed because of this incredible faith. The question is, why is Jesus so amazed? I want to offer three reasons I think Jesus is so amazed. I think, first of all, Jesus is amazed because the centurion didn't have an entitled spirit. He didn't live with entitlement. Notice in the story, it says there's a centurion who is ill. People hear about a situation, and they go to Jesus with a message, and they say, Lord, this man loves our nation. Lord, this man has built our synagogue. If there's anyone who deserves you to come, it's this man. And you would think about, think about it this way. This centurion probably could have gone that direction as well. He could have said, that's right. You know, I did do that. I do love his people. I did build the synagogue. If anyone deserves to receive healing, it's me and my situation. But the centurion doesn't appeal to what he's done. 
He doesn't appeal to entitlement. The centurion simply says, I'm not even worthy to come for you to come to my house, but just say the word. And Jesus is amazed, I believe, number one, because this centurion didn't live with entitlement. He knew that if any blessing comes my way, it is the sheer grace of God, not because of something I've done. Now, you need to sit with that for a second, because many of us often believe that we're blessed because of what we've done. We have a tit-for-tat relationship with God. I do this, God, you do this. It's this kind of social contract we've created with God. I do this, you do this. Lord, I I prayed so much today, Lord, I'm expecting a parking spot. Lord, I've done so much. I've, I've volunteered, I've read the Bible, I've given my money. I deserve you to do this in my life. And so we live with a sense of entitlement, don't we, from time to time perplexed that any wrongdoing or any bad things can come our way, especially when we're doing the right thing. This is the mystery of sin. This is the mystery of evil. But the centurion doesn't appeal to his own sense of entitlement. He recognizes that any blessing that comes my way is the sheer grace and mercy of God. You know how I know that? Let me tell you. I know that because there are times where I'm not following Jesus as much as I should be following him. There are times where you're not praying as you should be praying. There are times where you read all the Bible. There are times you can't find your Bible. And, 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 and whether good or bad, he blesses. Because his blessing is, and love is not contingent. Now, hear this. The the love of God, the love of God is not based on what you do or do not do. This will set you free. If you can get this here, listen, listen. The love of God, God does not love you less if you do wrong. And God does not love you more if you do good. Why? That's human love. God has divine love. Divine love, this is why God loves, you haven't prayed, God loves you the same as if you are uh, praying 24-7. You you memorize all the Bible scriptures or you can't even find your Bible, God loves you the same. Why? Because God's love is divine love. And if you can grasp this, you 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 will start interpreting your life differently. Because every time something bad happens, the first thing we ask ourselves is, what what have I done to deserve this? Why is God mad at me? Now, the reality is we could be doing it because something called, we could experience something simply because of cause and effect. Or we made a bad decision and something bad happened to us. But what we often do is we attribute any kind of wrongdoing in our life to God. As if to say, God, he loves me. He loves me not. I prayed today, he loves me. Didn't pray today, he loves me not. Came to church, he loves me. Haven't been at church in a couple of weeks, he loves me not. Been volunteering, he loves me. Stingy with my time, he loves me not. That's a very human way of being. The centurion, however, recognizes if any blessing comes my way, it's the sheer love and grace of God. And so Jesus is amazed by that. I'm also struck that Jesus might be amazed by this centurion's faith because he is an outsider who is trusting. 
not an insider. The Roman centurion is on the outside of faith. He's an enemy of the people of God. He's a Roman centurion. And here this man comes with a little bit of faith. And I'm so encouraged by that. Because there is faith around you. Faith is not just restricted to what's happening in the church. The question is, how do you begin to name and identify the faith that's happening in your workplace, in your school? Jesus is amazed that someone who doesn't go to church, someone who doesn't have good theology, someone who doesn't know the Bible at all, has faith. And in this passage in Mark 6, he comes to the very people of God who know the scriptures, and they don't have faith. Jesus is perplexed by this. Maybe the third reason why Jesus is perplexed and amazed is because the Roman centurion simply says this, Lord, you don't even have to come to my house. You can just say the word and my servant will be healed. This centurion, I don't know how, but he knows that Jesus' words have created power. Now, how did this happen? Imagine with me for a second, this centurion, it does say that he built the synagogue. And so maybe in his, he was overseeing those operations, and maybe in the oversight process, in the contracting, in the building, in the materials, he's overseeing the construction of the synagogue, and maybe because of that, he's in conversation with some people of faith. Maybe he overheard a Bible study near the synagogue as it's being built, but somehow, some way, he comes to discover something about God, that God has creative power in a word. Perhaps he was overhearing a conversation on Genesis 1 in which it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says, and God said, let there be light, and light appeared. When God wanted to create the world, God didn't go to Home Depot to get some supplies and such. God just spoke a creative word of power, and it happened. Perhaps he read that passage, overheard that passage, saw Jesus operating and said, the God who did that is down the block. Think about that for a second. The God who did all that is down the block. Jesus, I know something about you. That if you just say the word, something will happen. And then he says this, I'm a man who knows authority. He says, I know what it's like to be under authority, and I know what it's like to have people under my authority, that I represent something when I say something, that if I give a command, those who are under me can't debate it, they just do it. By him making this analogy, Jesus goes, whoa, 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 you know something here. What does he know? That Jesus is not just this carpenter, that Jesus is not just this teacher, that Jesus is not just this prophet. Jesus is the son of the living God who is in a special kind of relationship with the Father. That when Jesus says a word, things begin to happen. And so here this man is, just say the word. And Jesus is amazed. The centurion Listen, he recognizes my power runs out, but God's power never runs out. And he confesses, Lord, send the word. Send the word. What is this passage inviting us into? This passage invites us into a number of things. Namely, it invites us to confess our powerlessness. 
which positions us to receive the power of God, our powerlessness. Now, this is something we have a hard time doing, confessing our powerlessness, confessing our need. Many of us have a very difficult time asking for help. That's the thrust of this message here. The centurion says, I have a lot of power. I have a lot of authority. That power and authority doesn't work here. I need help. And the passage here invites us to live a life which asks for help. Now, most of us don't like asking for help. We can help others, but we often feel great shame and insecurity about asking for help. I take groceries out of the, the trunk, and I have all in my hand. And my wife says, let me, give it, let me get a bag. No, baby, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. No, no, I don't want to ask for help. We, we, you're experiencing all kind of marital crises and such, and, or personal crises, and, and instead of, of, of asking for help, seeing a counselor, going to a therapist, we, we, we want to handle this thing alone because we have a hard time asking for help. Recognizing our powerlessness. But the passage invites us into this reality that to be in relationship with God means that we have to confess, I need help. This is why I love the 12-step programs of Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, because it begins with the recognition, I am so powerless. That if any transformation is going to happen in my life, it begins with this confession, I'm powerless. This is the first two steps of AA meetings whenever they confess it. We we admitted we were powerless over our addiction, that our lives had become unmanageable. And step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. This is what the centurion does. I don't have any power, therefore I need to go to the source of power. And this is the invitation for us. Where are you powerless? Where have you been trying to fix Things in your own strength, in your own ability, in your own intelligence, in your own strategy? Where have you been closing yourself off to God's power in your life? Now, what I love about the passage is the centurion doesn't have just this private relationship with Jesus where Jesus gets direct messages from him. Jesus gets the message because the centurion was humble enough to express his need to other people who are going to give the message to Jesus. What does it mean to live a life of faith that amazes Jesus? Not just that we are humble enough to say, Lord, I'm powerless, but we're courageous enough to admit we're powerless to the people around us as well. It's easy to say to Lord in the privacy of our prayers, Lord, I'm so powerless, and then come to church and put on a persona of strength. I'm strong. I got my act together. But if there's any place where it should be safe to confess I need help, it should be the church. Now, that's not always the case, but I want to tell you, in this congregation, we endeavor to make it a safe space and to be the kind of people who are safe enough where one can say, I need help and not feel judged because I need help. For some of you, let, let, this, let this be a space where you, you can say, I'm so depressed. I need help. And to receive that not with, I can't believe, you're still depressed. And receive it with arms of welcome and healing. 
this, this place should be a, a safe enough place where you can say, my marriage is a mess. I need help. A place safe enough to say, I, I've made a mess with my finances. I need help. A, a place safe enough to say, I, I, I'm just not myself. I can't figure it up from down. I, I, I need help. That's the kind of place that we long to be as a church family where we can recognize our own helplessness and receive from the hands of brothers and sisters as an extension of the healing hands of Jesus Christ power and strength and healing and wholeness. The centurion doesn't just go to Jesus. He goes to the people around him, and this is what we are invited to do, to live a life that recognizes I am powerless. Lord, could you send your power? Now, how does this man get to this point? I want to share this, and then we'll take communion together. How does this centurion get to this place where he amazes Jesus? If I can say it in a sentence, I'll say it this way. That faith that amazes Jesus emerges from a person amazed by Jesus. Faith that amazes Jesus emerges from a person who is amazed by Jesus. That is, the more you begin to behold Jesus and his goodness towards you, something begins to happen inside you. When, when you pray, what are we doing when we pray? When we, when we pray and sit down and, and open scripture, what, what, what are we doing? We, we, we want to be amazed by Jesus. What are we doing in worship? What are we doing when we're lifting our hands? What are we doing when we're hearing the gospel proclaimed? What are we doing when we take bread and dip it in a cup as we will do in a moment? Our hearts are, are, are hoping to be amazed by Jesus. To, to, that, is, that is amazing love with some, do something in our hearts. And there's something that happens when, when, you, when you are amazed by Jesus and his love and his grace and his power and authority. All of a sudden, something begins to happen inside of you. And this is what I love about this text and this is what I love about Jesus and what I love about the gospels is all it takes is a little bit of faith. A little bit of, to, to amaze him. Unb- doubt and faith are not the, the opposites. The opposite of faith is unbelief. And unbelief is a total closing off to God. That's what unbelief is. Which is why any kind of faith, of course, grows in the ground of doubt. That's why it's faith. There's always some, and so if you're doubting today, you're in great company with Christians throughout the ages. And, and all it takes is a little, a little, bit, of, a little bit of faith. Jesus says with, with a mustard seed faith, what can you do? You can move mountains with it. And so if you're here today, you say, I don't even know how I can believe. I have so, just, just a little bit. Just open the door a little bit. And Jesus says, just, just a, a little bit. I'll, I'll come in. I'm coming. And, and I can meet you where you're at. Give you grace for this part of the journey that you're on. Fill you with my kind of life. Faith that amazes Jesus emerges from a faith, from a person that is amazed by Jesus. And all it takes is a little bit. Let's pray together. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. And that's our 
that's the goal of our hearts, that we would behold Jesus in his amazing grace, in the ways that he has poured out for us on his, in his death and resurrection. What an amazing savior we have. One who comes to us when we confess we need help. Where do you need help today? Where have you run out of power? Where do you have no sense of authority? Where do you need help? If you can simply just confess, this is where I'm at today. Lord, send the word. This is where I'm at. I open myself up to you. This is the invitation of this passage. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love, your grace, the ways you come to us, the ways you encounter us when we have run out of power and have nowhere else to go. Lord, you come running to us. What, what a savior. Now, Lord, as we come to the table of communion, may we be amazed at your love, a love that is broken and poured out for us, a love that forgives us, a love that dies in our place, a love that offers us new life. Thank you, Lord, for the ways you encounter us. And Lord, may we surprise you as well as you respond in trust. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's all stand together. I want to invite those who are going to offer the bread and the cup to come to the various tables around this room, down below, up on top. And I want to lead us in the prayer of confession. And as you come and take bread, and our tradition at New Life is to take bread and dip it in a cup and go back to your seat and just hold the bread and the cup there and as you hold it there I want you just to name this is where I'm powerless this is where I need God's strength this is where I need to confess I have no authority no power I can do nothing about this and as you hold it there I'll come back up and I'll lead us to take this together but let's pray the prayer of confession uh, together it's on the screen and we do this as people who have failed, who have fallen, but who confess our sins to receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Together as the people of God, let's pray this together. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, we have sinned against you through our own faults, in thoughts, in word, in deed, in what we have done, in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Please come forward.
The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As the people of God, freely forgiven by the mercy of Jesus. Let's take together. that chorus one more time let heaven come have our prayer team come to my left. One of the ways that we confess our powerlessness and our need is to receive prayer. It's one of the great gifts of the body of Christ, to pray for one another, to encourage one another. We each have an opportunity when we pray for each other to, to send a word, to send God's word to us in that particular circumstance and situation to send the word. And so when we receive prayer, it is the body of Christ coming together, hearing the word of Jesus proclaimed over us. And so maybe you're in a situation today where you need God's word to be sent to you. And someone's here to pray for you. Maybe you're not even a Christian today and you've run out of power. And as it goes from time to time, people say, I don't want to be a hypocrite that... I only come to God when I need God. And in God's eyes, whenever you come to God, however you come to God, God welcomes you. You say, well, when everything was going great, I didn't come to God, but now things are going bad. I don't want to be a hypocrite. God says, come anyway. And he says to all of us, come, all of you, with your hypocrisy, just come. Bring it with you. God, God, his, his grace, his love, it's endless. It's, and so however you come, just come. The Lord will receive you. And so our prayer team is here. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. His love is for you. 
His grace is for you. He invites you to turn to him, to receive his love, to turn from your ways, to turn from being your own God, to turn from having things done in your own way and say, no, trust me. And if you've never trusted Jesus, and what I mean by that is you've never said, Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, forgive me. Lord, transform my heart. If you've never done anything along those lines and something's welling up inside of you, as you're praying that, our prayer team would love to talk and pray with you to help you get on your journey, especially if this is the first time where you're making a decision for Jesus. As we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. As we receive all that we can from the very presence of God. And so with your hands and your hearts in the posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, freely confessing your powerlessness and receiving the power and authority of Jesus. And may you receive his love and his grace and freely confess that you don't have it all together. And as you confess that, may God surprise you and amaze you with his love, amaze you with his power, amaze you with his provision, amaze you with his life. And may you in turn offer yourself as a gift to the world. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the amazing name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you all.